0: Hey everyone, this is Chad. I'm the founder and CEO of mission.org and the host of Mission Daily, the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Mission Daily was recently selected as best of 2018 by Apple for a reason. In every single episode, you're going to learn actionable strategies that you can apply to your life to become healthier, wealthier, and wiser. On this episode of the Mission Daily, Ian sits down in studio with Ken Gonzalez, Managing Director for Night Dragon Security. Ken has led the strategy and corporate business development functions for Siebel Systems, McAfee, Avast, and FireEye. During his career, he has completed over 40 acquisitions, 23 of which were in cybersecurity. Ken and Ian talk about the future of cybersecurity and the type of companies that Night Dragon is investing in. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy.
1: Today, we have special guest in studio here, Ken Gonzalez. Ken, how's it going? Doing great today. So, Ken has a very long and storied background in cybersecurity, and we wanted to talk to him about all things cybersecurity, what we're looking at in the past and the future, lessons that he's seen in his career. We might do a little bit talking about West Point because we're both West Point grads. And then we also want to talk about some of the IT business partnership That we've discussed previously on the podcast, but Ken has a background that was more on the business side, which we haven't had yet on the podcast. So excited to get into it, but first, how'd you you get your start?
2: Yeah, so uh, just by way of background, I'm a West Point graduate, like you mentioned. I served in the Army for five years, got out, and I was fortunate enough to go to a good business school. It was the late '90s, and I had to get to California and get into tech. And so, fortunately, I found my way into a company called Siebel Systems, which was one of the early leaders in the customer relationship management business. And I got into the business development side and alliances and partnership side. So my career is really, from a civilian perspective, has all been really doing MA transactions, also known as corporate development, as well as business development and alliances. And I've done, I've led that function at Siebel Systems. I led that function at McAfee from 06 through the sale to Intel in 2011. I led the function at Avast, which is a consumer security company out of the Czech Republic recently went public. Uh, I did it at FireEye, which was private and went public. And then since 17, I've been in the venture capital side. So right now, currently, like I mentioned, I'm a managing director at Night Dragon Security. We are a investor and operator. We consider ourselves strategic operating investors in the area of cybersecurity. So early and late stage cybersecurity
1: focused companies are our kind of target partners. And with with your background, you know, one of the things that we talked about in, in kind of our, our pre-interview process was this idea that the way that you worked with CIOs or CISOs over the years has kind of shifted the way that they're involved in kind of the business process and kind of from the corporate development standpoint, how much you actually worked with them. Just talk a little bit about like how you saw, how you worked with, you know, CIOs and how that role kind of has been changing a little bit.
2: Yeah. So there's sort of two ways that I address that. One is When I'm working within my organization, be it Siebel or McAfee or wherever, with our CIO. And then the other angle is working for technology vendors. How do we relate to the CIO when it comes to selling? So on the first point, yeah, it's always been important for a business leader, business executive to partner with the CIO of the company. And there's a reason is because they can help you make great technical decisions. And they're often very times, oftentimes business savvy as well. So great business decisions. And also historically, they were also the holder of budget, right? So when I wanted to buy something, I had to go to the CIO. We had a negotiation about budget and what the requirements were, and we moved forward. So they uh, have always been a partner, and they've been the budget holder. What we've seen, at least I've seen over the years, is that we've gone from traditional IT architectures that were typically on-prem software, on-prem compute, on-prem storage, and a massive shift to the public and private cloud and SaaS applications is that at least from my perspective, I've seen a, a change in a relationship with the CIO and it's it's been positive, right? So I'll give you an example from my past when I was at Siebel Systems. For When I was at Siebel Systems for one year, I ran the marketing function and I had a pretty large discretionary budget. And prior, prior to that role, again, IT was the budget holder, but right around that time, SaaS applications were growing in popularity and so, so, so too became SaaS applications that a marketing team could use. And now I could actually procure things without having to go through procurement and the IT organization. So there has been a shift from, as we've gone from on-prem to cloud and SaaS based technologies of budget to the business line uh, owners. And that has changed in some level, the relationship between IT, the CIO and the the end customer.
1: And how would you, you know, if you could kind of like wave your magic wand for some reason we always ask questions about maving, waving magic wands but so if you if you had the magic wand and you were like this is the the one thing I would really look for from like a CIO if you were in, a, in an operational standpoint you had budget for things and you were looking to buy different things like what type of support would you want from the from the CIO or from the IT organization
2: I tell you you know I think obviously if they have budget and I don't I, budget's an important thing. Certainly, given the function IT, you would expect great technical and technology depth and insights, I think that's important. But I'll tell you another thing that's also been important that a good uh, business line executive will absolutely want to partner with the CIO and the IT organization on, and that is change management. So it's one thing to ha- you know have money, it's another thing to have good technological depth. But I love working with IT folks who have a history of delivering on projects, small or large, and realizing that uh, change management managing people, getting adoption of technologies is probably the majority of the battle. It's Relatively speaking, it's easier to buy things and turn them on than to actually get people to use it. And I saw that particularly true in, in the area of Salesforce automation and CRM as an example.
1: Yeah, it's, it's something that we've heard from a few different CIOs talk about their, their advice to first-time CIOs would be in the first six months, take something, own it, implement it, and get it actually done 100%. Don't leave, you know, like show that you can execute within the first six months because that's kind of a rare thing sometimes. Yeah, I agree. You know, it actually sort of reminds
2: me of an old military stuff like, you know, back in the Army uh, as a young second lieutenant, uh, it was really important for me to be a subject matter expert. in Every single thing every single soldier do. I needed to be able to shoot straighter, you know, assemble and disassemble weapons faster, run faster, you name it. And as you move up in experience and time, you kind of focus on higher order things, which is how do I ensure my people know how to do that? How do I lead them effectively? And I think that's the same thing in an IT person's career as well, right? Start off, nail your first project in your first, yeah, your first project, keep your feelers out for growing in new areas around leadership and change management,
1: and then you'll build a reputation, and I think that'll help you. One of the bosses that I had I was a, when I was a lieutenant, I was in like captain's job as a battalion S1, which as a second lieutenant is not great for those of you who don't know. Basically, you're the, the lowest officer on the totem pole and you're, you have to work with a lot of people who are senior to you and ask for things. And one of the things that my my battalion executive officer, so he was a major, a lot higher ranking than me at the time, was like, Ian, this is a very important lesson. He was a huge pain every single day. He was very tough to work for. But he was like, this is a really important lesson alpha battery and bravo battery alpha battery always submits their stuff on time always gets every task complete all the way and it's green on the tracker bravo battery every morning they're like you know personal status update is late every morning how much do you think i go and check alpha battery i was like i don't know sir he's like never it's like once a month bravo every single day i walk down to their headquarters because that's the thing right it's like if you show that you're always late or that you can't complete things on time, you're going to get checked a lot. And for an IT leader, if you're showing that stuff, then you're definitely not going to be trusted by the business units to make make those decisions or be, you know, quote unquote, at the table.
2: Yep. Yeah. Nail the
1: basics. You earn permission to move forward from there. Yep. So switching gears to Night Dragon, which by the way, great name. You guys did an awesome, awesome job. You know,
2: that's, uh, let me talk about that. So it's it's, it's sort of an inside baseball name in cybersecurity. People always question where that came from, but it actually has to do with a, uh, you know, a Chinese-backed cyber attack that hit some major tech companies as well as industrial-oriented companies back in, I can't even remember the year now, 2009, 2010, it was a a Chinese attack and it was named by... uh, Dmitry Alperovitch of CrowdStrike, the CIO of CrowdStrike, or CTO of CrowdStrike. And yeah, that was a, actually a Chinese cyber attack. And that's so great. So it's all inside baseball there.
1: Yeah, that is. That's great. Are you are breaking news? Is that public? <laughs> <laughs> you can do some research on it. It's, yeah. not, it's out there. <laughs> um, so you are really amped up about the future of cybersecurity and the stuff that you're seeing every day at Night Dragon. Tell me about you know why you're so excited about cybersecurity right now. Sure. So so from a business perspective, cybersecurity
2: is just a, it's a great business to be in, whether you are an operator, meaning you are, you work with or for the chief security officer of of an organization, or if you're on the technology vendor side, it's a great business. And uh, we were talking about this earlier, but there's two main drivers of that business that are just so happen to be the gift that keeps on giving, right? First of all is bad guys are doing bad things every day in new and innovative ways. And by the way, the expansion of attack surface area Uh, has made their jobs easier. So as we've gone from mainframe to client, server to cloud, public and private cloud, virtualization containers, serverless, mobile, those equal surface area. Bad guys have huge R&D budgets. They're economically motivated. They're anonymous because of Bitcoin and other technologies out there. And so they're just good at what they do. So that drives the business forward. Bad guys are doing bad things every day. The other axis here is that regulators regulate every day. That's what they're hired to do, right? And so you have, international organizations, federal, state, local, and even industry organizations like the payment card industry that mandate compliance regimes upon member organizations. And while compliant does not equal secure, it drives spend. So the market is a great business to be in. There's a real sense of mission that, as a you know, former army officer, I really appreciate because you know outside of the military, it's one of the few places where you're on a mission every single day. It's like, how do I stop bad guys? How do I stop bad guys? Kick them off our networks, and so it's actually a fulfilling business to be in as well.
1: Yeah, it's a real mission. I mean, that was it's one of the things that that we talk about here at at the mission is about this sense that like everything that we do has the opportunity to reach millions of people. So it's always always live. Like you're, it's always always real. There's kind of no no faking it. There's no way to like, you know, half a it or anything like that. And in cybersecurity, what I think is so daunting about it is that you're constantly fighting a foe that's also like the enemy has a vote, right? How are you seeing kind of like the the technology comparison between kind of like the good guys versus the bad guys? Well, I've got a few thoughts on that
2: one. So, um One thing at Night Dragon we look at, an investable opportunity looks like a gap between where the bad guys are and where the good guys are. The gap between offense and defense looks like something that's uh, investable. That's a key criteria. And I will just tell you, the gap is not closing because cybersecurity is a game of whack-a-mole that, again, with each new technology innovation, there's new ways of doing things. We're now seeing for the first time, actually it was 2018, we saw cyber attacks that are AI-based. So no longer do you have a bad guy behind a keyboard somewhere typing commands in, they have AI-based intelligence that is actually doing move-counter-move against your potentially AI or not AI-trained defenses. Sometimes you gotta just slow these things down to basics, though, and I used to, Work for a great guy, Kevin Mandia, who's the CEO of FireEye, and you know he kind of he 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 told me something one time, right? So, a CIO or a CISO needs to know um, what are the core assets they're trying to protect, right? The second thing you need to know is how would a bad guy get to those core assets, and the third thing you have to know as a defender is how would I know if the bad guys are actually what are my sensors? How would I know if my bad guys are actually using that way in? That lens doesn't solve all cybersecurity challenges, but it's a good framework to think about, okay, how do I build an IT organization and a security framework to keep
1: my organization secure? That's really interesting. And you've had you've had the opportunity to work for some of like the true legends in kind of like the cybersecurity space, both companies and leaders. I mean, those kind of insights, how do you pass those on to your portfolio companies and the folks that you're working with?
2: Yeah. So just a little commercial on Night Dragon security. So I'm partners with a guy named Dave DeWalt. He's the former CEO of FireEye, McAfee, and Documentum before that, president of uh, EMC. And I learned a lot just from him, but in founding Night Dragon, we decided that we are going to be strategic operating investors. So yeah, we want to make good investment bets, but we're critical to our mission, what we're doing is to impart and instill knowledge with our portfolio companies. How do we share what we've learned about how to attack markets, how to develop products, how to build ecosystems, how to think strategically around exits and outcomes. So, you know, to your question, you know, we're, we're pretty hands-on investors. You know, we uh, have a board seat uh, and an advisory role in every company we're involved with. We currently have a portfolio of 12 cybersecurity companies. You know, it's through those efforts that we kind of share our what we know.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the thing that I think is so interesting about specifically cybersecurity, where it's so adversarial to you to the p- to folks you're fighting right so having people in your corner is really important to know it's kind of like the you know the 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 tricks and the other things like the lessons learned of having you know 50 plus years of experience at night dragon is really important for young startups that are focused on you know building stuff that stops the bad guys or can close that gap To know, hey, this is actually how you build a company, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as as operators, our operating experience, we've had plenty of losses, plenty of
2: zeros, and plenty of wins. And I think that's, that's what you can share, right? Share common themes between the wins on how to get to what a victory is, but also share lessons around what failed. Like we've seen this movie before, what not to do is important.
1: So what are, what are some of the, your portfolio companies working on? What are some of the, I know it's like, a, it's a crazy time and we have like the rise of IOT and oh, you have connected yeah. devices and you have, you know, satellite imagery, like all this crazy stuff. What are some of the things that the smart folks that uh, you're investing in are doing? Oh man, there's a. Uh... We
2: could talk for a long time on this There's so much exciting stuff going on in cybersecurity. Let me talk about a couple of problems that some of our portfolio companies are solving and addressing and then kind of going forward, what we're seeing as a Night Dragon team focused on the future. So interesting, you know, right now we're in the annual threat report season. So all the major vendors are gonna say, here's what we learned in 2018. And here's what we're seeing in 2019. Here's our predictions, right? Yeah. And my prediction based on having read multiple years of those is that, you know, 50% of the breaches out there will continue to be caused by Insiders, intentionally or even unintentionally, misconfiguring you know, an S3 bucket, doing something unintentionally, resulting in massive data leakage. That's an unsolved problem. If if every year 50% of the breaches are caused by an insider, intentionally or not intentionally, we got a problem. So we're investors in a great company called Observe It, based in Boston, that's focused exactly on stopping insider threats. They use a great combination of uh, artificial intelligence and advanced analytics, as well as traditional rules that you know equal, if you do this, this is bad. So that's a cool area that we're invested in. We're invested in another company in San Francisco called Jask, which is going after a multi-billion dollar opportunity, which is, you know, addressing the legacy SIM market. SIM is security information and event management. So imagine all the zillions of logs that all your security and IT infrastructure sending off every day. A SIM makes sense of that. Well, now we're on a revolution in that world, which is how do I apply machine learning and artificial intelligence to take the work out of an analyst's hand of having to actually understand all these logs and actually help find needles and haystack so security teams can address problems. So those are two examples of current companies, but on the future, it's unbelievable. So IoT, you mentioned IoT. I don't know how many devices you have connected in your home right now, but I've gone from kind of like a router and a PC or two to probably dozens at any point in time and the router is exposed and vulnerable, and uh, how do you protect that? So we're uh, partnering with a company called Securing SAM, which is working with ISPs to deliver over-the-air firmware, or uh, software that lies on top of firmware, to make sure that we are providing enterprise-grade network security to consumers and homes, because it is so easy to hack a home right now, given the proliferation of IoT devices. And on the future, satellites, Really important to our biz- to our economy, to our nation. They look like targets. They look like means of exfiltrating information out of well-guarded, you know, perimeters of security companies. Now we're seeing drones as the intersection of physical and cyber that are coming, presenting an interesting investing opportunity. Yeah, so there's a lot. There's, the, by the way, there's IoT and enterprise is a massive opportunity as well.
1: So it's funny how each each new thing that comes with, you know, the fourth industrial revolution, each new kind of thing that's, you know, that's kind of projected as like, wow, this is so like exciting and it is really exciting. It's like the other side of that is like, those are all weapons.
2: That's exactly right. So I talked about surface area. So IOT is new surface area, right? Like it wasn't a thing a few years ago. And now every, you know, every company has got IOT devices within their networks that are hanging off their networks that they don't even, they're not even aware of. So how do they find those? How do they put policy? How do you control? How do you kick them off the network if they're not authorized? Same problem on your house. So IoT is
1: a massive expansion of surface area in the last five years. Well, and for, you know, IT leaders, you have all sorts of shadow IT stuff, but you also have like all of these applications that are and you know, I, I don't wanna like pick on any, but, but whether it's communications apps or or whatever it is that are non non native. apps that are people are dropping passwords into right and left. Like, gosh, I can't even imagine how many passwords are being shared on communications stuff that's not an email anymore. That's just floating out there. So you have, you know, risk profile there, but you also have like you said just like regular leakage yeah. um that could happen from that sort of stuff and yeah. how do you see that yeah it's 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 interesting
2: so so the move to the cloud the mo- move to iot the mo- move to mobility has all resulted in the not eliminations too strong of a word but the the traditional perimeter the yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. wall and the moats have become much more porous now so it's not gone but it's much more porous and so that makes the job of it and security much, much harder, you know? And it, frankly, that will drive a new set of innovations, right? So when when you don't have a perimeter anymore, two things matter a lot, right? One is who are you and do I really know it's you? Uh, and the second thing is what should you be able to do with what you have access to? And the, 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 the governing technologies on those really focus around identity and access management. And the second part of that is encryption. Because encryption can help you control policy around who can do what with what. Um, So there's definitely a resurgence in all things identity and all things encryption as the perimeter appears to be disappearing.
1: And I think for the vast majority of, of business operators, like they want to, they can't sacrifice speed, right? It's like if speed of communication, if speed of, you know uh of action of you know time to close or any of those any of the things that they're judged on that you know uh, result in millions and millions of dollars every day if those are comp- like if if we need to slow all of that down to have a more active security posture we, we can't really do that so then how do you how do you secure with the same yeah. with keeping like operational speed at yeah, the t- same rate
2: t- you know so so you know, you talk about time to close and speed, it's time to innovation, right? Yeah. Every company, no matter what business they're in, is a software and technology company right now. Yep. They all have their own engineers and dev teams. And so how does IT and security reduce the time to innovation to enable, how do they say yes to the engineers who want to do things to make sure it's secure? So another trend we're seeing in cybersecurity is a move you know, just like there's a DevOps in a development world, there's now DevSecOps, which is how do I move, you know, how do I shift left? How do I move the implementation of security policies and controls earlier in the development cycle so that, yes, time to innovation is not impaired, but also I'm not setting myself up for a big security breach going forward? And that's a, that's a new paradigm, right? Organization sales folks who've spent years building relationships with CISOs now realize that they need to change their game. Which is, yeah, the CISO might be the budget holder, but you now have a set of of uh, influencers in any sales cycle now, which looks like IT, looks like developers,
1: and so how do you, as a salesperson on the vendor side, actually you marry those? It's a it's a new paradigm. Shift. I mean, we it's something that we're actually going to be discussing on on a different podcast really soon about account based marketing because there are so many situations now where. It, like entire teams are making purchasing decisions and you need to get in front of all of those folks so that it, they know what the heck you're talking about. And it's not as much like, you know, or it's point to point. It's not necessarily just like this cascading effect where it's like, hey, we talked to this, this C level, and then they're just going to disseminate the information to the rest of their team of like, hey, I want this, go look into it. There's a bubble up there that is very real that kind of didn't necessarily used to be that way. Absolutely. What would you say the that- the role, this role of this role of the CIO, the role of the CISO, how do those blend together? And even, you know, even adding in, whether it's a CDO or, you know, some folks throw like the CMO into this sort of mix of digital posture, this foot digital footprint. How do you see the role of the CIO and CISO kind of, are they going to merge? Are they going to stay separate? Like what, what do you think kind of the future looks like for those two kind of functions?
2: you know i'd say you see a little bit of everything right now right so historically uh, the ciso has been a report into the cio organization right and that's still very prevalent out there i would say at least in the last 10 years i've been you know i've been in cybersecurity for more than 10 years but at least the last 10 years you're seeing a, sh- a shift where increasingly the ciso can be in a separate parallel organization so a little bit of a separation of church and state you know cio buys runs, maintains infrastructure, CISO uh, secures it. And you, you've seen that even accelerate a little bit more with also boards and audit committees requiring the CISO to come in front of them periodically to present the status of the security and the plans for the future. I think, you know to, to predict something, they're increasingly gonna become sister organizations that have to understand each other. They both have to have deep technical knowledge and they both have customers, which are the lines of business. The IT needs to be able to help be technology experts, help procure, help run and maintain, keep an eye on costs. Uh, the CISO has to be able to enable the organization to say yes. How do I how do I get to yes in a way that is meets the business requirements, but also meets compliance and
1: audit and security requirements. And then I would say, you know, another another thing that we talked about recently was, you know, having having that CISO and the CIO and those folks that are involved in sales conversations when it makes sense for, and totally depending on the product, obviously, but to show that in some of these, some of these deals where they need to know that their, you know, information is secure. They need to know that your company is focused on security and that it's a, it's a huge priority, especially in startup world where, there's a lot of trade-offs. Yep. Like There's a lot of trade-offs that companies make, and that is definitely one of them because it's an expensive one. So you need to make sure that you have, that you're showing your customers that, hey, we take this very, very, we take your data very, very seriously.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes speed innovation, particularly in consumer goods, does not always equal secure. And that uh, can be scary. You know, certainly as we've moved to SaaS applications and kind of the consumerization of IT, the other role I think that the CIO and the CISO have changed is that they, and we've talked about this earlier, they've increasingly become customer facing, right? Because IT is the product oftentimes. And if those IT teams are running the operations behind the product, you know, now them, the IT team and the security team are increasingly customer focused and customer
1: oriented, meaning the end customer, not just internally. What would you kind of like quick quick story time? What would you say around like you know you were there for FireEye's IPO? You've been around kind of multiple acquisitions and exit kind of philosophy or exit exit opportunities. What would you say as as someone who's investing in companies to how to build a profitable company that is built for the long term? That's like not just looking for an exit in kind of the short term to like, you know, we're gonna sell to the first kind of buyer thing. Like how do you, what were the cultures like of those companies that that endured for a long time?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, so let me let me, let me say something here, which is it's not, when you make an investment in, in let's say cybersecurity, not every company is gonna be around forever, right? Because the, the model is bad guys innovate, big platform company realizes they need to solve a problem big platform company goes off and looks at this security startup ecosystem who can solve that problem today and they go buy it versus maybe trying to build something for the next three years and coming out with version one of it right so the reason i say that is when you come in on an investment you have to make a decision whether this is a platform which needs to have a, a path to scale and size and a completeness of functionality and and can be independently profitable and then there's also Tuckins, right? That's that's not negative. You can make a lot of money investing in Tuckins as long as you're capital efficient and you find the right buyer at the right point in time. So typically on the Tuckins, they're probably never going to reach profitability. They might not even reach break-even. That's just, you're building it because you know there's going to be one of six logical buyers somewhere down the road and we're going to figure out how to get it there is where it's going to go. You asked me a question on what's an example of the characteristics of a company that was built for the long term. I'll give you a great example of one. So it was in twenty. 2013, 2014, I can't remember, FireEye bought Mandiant. Mandiant was a great consultancy, you know, kind of born out of the East Coast, in Northern Virginia. They were a technology-enabled consultancy, so built a ton of technology. And this company was profitable day one, right? A consultancy should be profitable day one. And uh, they built a great brand. They hired people that had a mind both to to delivering a great service, but also a mind to economically top line and bottom line. And they had a culture Around, we're always going to be profitable. I don't know if I answered your question. No, but- that
1: that that's great. I mean, I I think I think that that's an, it is an important differentiation, right? I mean, like we've seen what happens with like growth at all costs. I mean, I think we can all agree that that's definitely not a good motto yep. <laughs> because you sacrifice things like integrity. But I think that 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 is a good lens. What did you see as like the lead up to companies going public that? Kind of showed the hey we're we're a we're going to be here for a long 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 time and those kind of those mindsets or that kind of that the kind of leadership qualities that happened there.
2: Well, listen, I think in cybersecurity for many years there was not much of a wave of IPOs at all, but I would say in the last six seven years there's been plenty of good ones that have been out there. Yeah, and what these companies did right was they um they they did a bunch of things right. So in cybersecurity. If you find evil that other are people aren't finding, your stuff sells. So that's a, you know, POV results that successful finding evil sells. If you emulate evil credibly and you find that and no one else can find emulated evil, you sell. And then lastly, if you give a great demo or if there's a compliance requirement, then you might sell. But the first two finding evil is the important thing. So you see some of the really compelling IPOs that happens happened in cybersecurity. They've addressed problems that other people failed to address in new ways. Palo Alto is a great way. They reimagined the firewall to catch things that the old firewalls couldn't catch. FireEye did the same thing. So one characteristic of successful security IPOs is really finding evil in ways that other people didn't. The other thing was a passionate user community, right? So you know, you out there, the IT listeners and the security listeners out there, it's important for the cybersecurity companies that have done well to really find, you know, who is the buyer. What is the use case they're trying to solve? You know, where's the budget? And really get a repeatable sales model. And that repeatable sales model really starts and ends with the user community that that they're passionate about the product. We know that passionate users buy more frequently. Uh, They buy in greater quantities and they are good references for future buyers. Um, And so that's a couple
1: of ingredients of a good IPO. And that's really, that's great stuff. That's really interesting. And I think that that also the, the unhidden or the hidden thing that you didn't talk about the, at that last point was like how you're doing that customer success, how you're being obsessed about the customer and listening to them constantly to serve those user communities.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know this this customer success title that you've seen increasing in companies is a relatively new phenomenon probably yeah. over the last five or six years, uh, and I've seen different companies at uh, defining customer success different ways. You know one one element that I've seen really work for customer success is combining both the services capability with the support capability. Yep right another way is combining support and qa which means that if that organization is combined qa ultimately is going to support a product on the back end or support will and it's up to support then to say listen as the qa owner as well we're not going to let that version of this product ship until it meets a certain criteria so anyway those are three things to look at qa support and services coming together to ensure
1: customer success love it okay so before we get into the lightning rounds which are the questions you don't know about i have one more question about what's the what's the coolest stuff that you're seeing out there what's the coolest company you're invested in right now
2: okay that's a that's a that's like asking me i have three kids asking me which kid's my favorite kid so that's always a tricky question so
1: but uh you could have the coolest kid like yeah. you know like i would say in my family <laughs> i'm the coolest one of the three kids my sister's the smartest and my brother drags knuckles on looking. the ground <laughs> yeah <laughs> so
2: uh so anyway, we've got we've got yeah, a lot of great, cool companies. But I'll tell you the one that's uh, just a fun one to think about, or scary and fun at all at the same time, is a company over in San Leandro that we're investing investor in. Oh, in. San Leandro? Yeah. East Bay? East all right. Bay. Yeah. I I'll
1: have to check them out. Right next to the account. Walmart there oh, is, no kidding. is a
2: company called Airspace. And so, you know, narrowly focused, you know, and I'll, I'll give a broader positioning. They make the Peregrine Falcon of drones that can fly six times faster than any commercial drone out there launch you know it has sensors that can figure out if something that's just a pixel on a screen and i'll use my bees here is it, if it's is it a bird a butterfly a balloon or a bad guy and if it's a bad <laughs> guy this thing takes off launches and go fiz- and, and gets smarter the whole way as it's closing in on that pixel in real life and launches a kevlar net at this drone and takes it out and this is really cool because people don't know up, but cyber th- drones which you can go to fry's and buy one very cheap that could be very dangerous in the wrong hands they uh, are both physical threats and they're also potentially cyber threats because we're seeing potential exfil coming through drones as well so that's kind of what they do but what's really sexy about it is that while it is a peregrine falcon of drones what is core is actually their sensors their artificial intelligence that lets it figure out exactly what something is their computer vision that actually allows it to see the, the computer to see And the ability to network their sensors together within a a geographic area. So, you know, keep your eyes on anti drone technologies, but, you know, interdiction can be man in the middle and DDoS attacks, but particularly in civilian areas, that might work good in law enforcement and military, but physical interdiction is an important element of this as well. And these guys have nailed the brains behind this and are doing some really cool things. I can't tell you their customers, but think professional
1: sports, stadiums, cities. D-O-D, very cool. There is, that's so fascinating. There is, and I forget who who makes it, but someone made the, the drone where it can do like facial recognition and it could like follow someone in a crowd sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you just think about like how absolutely terrifying that is. It's also very cool in a positive way too, that there's lots of things that you could do with facial recognition to find lost people and all sorts of different stuff. But when you think about the sophistication of, again, the bad guys are going to get their hands on it. And there's going to be some sort of gap. And to know that uh, there's Peregrine Falcon drones that are out there that can go get it, that's freaking exciting. Okay. All right. So let's do the lightning round. Lightning round is brought to you by the lightning platform by Salesforce. These questions are fast and easy, just like the lightning platform by Salesforce. Fast and easy. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Messenger. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. You you could say Messenger.
2: I'll tell you what was my favorite app on my phone. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. It's out of business, but this was an app where I would be here in Palo Alto, and I would say, "Oh, I'm going to a meeting in San Francisco," and I'm, and I can. It knows where I am, and it's tracking me to my meeting, and it would show up at whatever building I am with a a car concierge guy. Oh, so really? I don't have to deal with parking. I literally would hop out of the car. I'd see a guy with the name of the company's jersey on. I'd toss him my keys, and my car was valet parked.
1: I so I. Gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, this makes for this makes for really good <laughs> podcasting. But no, that is great. I, I'm I'm in on that. Horrible business model, super expensive. Yeah. How do you maintain all those parking spots? Is crazy. But, but that was my favorite app. But now with uh, self driving cars, that will be a reality. Okay, number two. What's your favorite time saving tool? Favorite time saving tool. I don't have a favorite time I work. I work a lot. So, no apps, no No. something. I'm not a big app guy. I would just assume get
2: rid of my phone if I didn't have to use it. My favorite time-saving tool is email on my phone. Yeah, Gmail. So I can be productive or when I'm whatever. not. Yeah.
1: Favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? None. None of them. There's, there's got to be some good AI that you see. Like some, you know, some ant counter drone. so also in
2: the the commercial enterprise, absolutely. But on a personal level, what you don't understand about me is actually from a personal technology perspective, I'm a late adopter. I would rather my kids find out the apps. I would rather you figure out what to do and then
1: I'll just copy you. Yeah, it's crowdsourced innovation. I'm a complete late adopter on all things technology. Do you have a uh, favorite recent book that you've read in in the past couple of years that's worth mentioning? I'll tell you my favorite book. Yeah, How about that. And I've actually got my
2: kid reading it now. Which is there's a book called Endurance: Shackleton's Incredible Voyage. I've never heard of it. It's a great book. It's a some. I'm, I'm I'm a history history buff, historical fiction history buff, and it's actually a true story about a, a British explorer, Sir Ernest Shackleton, who went down to do a trans antarctic expedition back right around the beginning of world war 1 and so imagine you ship your boat down there you're you're in a boat you get down there world war 1 breaks out no one really knows you're down there and your your boat gets crushed in the ice so now you're in antarctica no one knows where you are and you have to get yourself out read the book it's unbelievable how these guys got themselves out with no boat and no radio that's crazy that's a good that's a good tease
1: it's a great book favorite
2: and I, it has pictures in it too cuz they took black and white photos of this expedition pretty cool
1: i so this is a random aside i saw i was watching this one of my favorite shows is david attenborough does a show called natural curiosities great show he takes two animals and talks about like the history of when these animals were like discovered and stuff it's freaking fascinating about like one thing about them that's like crazy unusual that like evolution has has brought about so one of the ones is about these is about penguins that like we didn't know like we know everything now but like back in the day we had no idea about anything and we don't know everything now which is one of the one of the things like there's still tons of things that we don't know about like the natural world which is crazy and so one of the things like they they had no idea what penguins did. Like now we've seen like Happy Feet and all these penguin <laughs> movies, but we didn't know like what penguins did. And these explorers got shipwrecked in the a- Antarctic. And what happened was they, they essentially froze to death, but while they were freezing to death, they drew sketches of all the penguins that they were seeing. And so this book of sketches, somebody ended up finding it and bringing it back to England and to the to the like natural conservatory there and they, it was like the first ever documented like penguins of like how they uh like nest their chicks and all this sort of stuff and how they like switch off and all this crazy stuff and it was like these like unfortunate poor souls that yeah. uh expedition gone wrong but they created a scene no one had ever seen before so huh. it's just interesting stuff yeah well anyway sure sh- sh- sir ernest shackleton got all his guys out did he no one died i'm in it's a good book favorite one day getaway in the bay area
2: One day, I like to bomb up to Bear Valley, which is in the Sierras. It's close. Great ski resort. I like to bomb up on a Friday night at eight o'clock with one or more of my kids. Ski all day Saturday and bomb back Sunday, Saturday night. I love it. my favorite one day getaway. Best
1: advice for a first time cybersecurity founder. Talk to a lot, a lot, a lot of customers. Talk to a lot of customers,
2: understand use cases, understand objections, and learn from that. And then try and turn that into as many betas as you possibly can get. I love it. Ken, thanks so much for hanging out. You're the man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.